And here's Pastor Nate. Good morning, everyone. I'd like to point out that we have a brand new, our church grew this week, or rather last week, um, brand new member of the church, Baby Bates, Esther, Esther, uh, you can stand up and hold her up, like, you know, Rafiki, you know, oh, to come so very happy to have her, uh, so this is Baby Esther, we have Baby Ruth, uh, they're actually going to be having a baby for every Old Testament female character, so, um, Plenty of time, plenty of time. So that's a, that's a great joy for us uh, in the church to have kids born in. It's one of the ways we grow as a church, right? I mean, also, you could bring people to church who don't know Christ, or people that do know Christ and don't have a church home, you could bring them too, and then we could grow that way also. So, you know, however you want to do it, have babies. Either you have a baby or bring some to church, Okay. Okay, Rick. I know what you're thinking. More babies, right? Um, so for those who don't know me, my name is Nathan. I'm the assistant pastor here. We're working our way through James, which I call the Gospel of James, along with many other scholars, because I'm not a scholar, but along with scholarly people who say the same thing, James is essentially the teachings of Christ in a letter format. It's remarkable. It's remarkable. The the parallels between the Gospel of Matthew and the book of James are incredible. So uh, today is no exception to that. The teachings that we're looking at today and the way that they're taught are very similar to the way that Jesus talked about these things and the way that Jesus spoke about them. So these teachings are on the lips of Christ. And so I hope that uh, we can take them to heart today. Uh, If you need a Bible, well, you will need a... If you don't have a Bible, please raise your hand and an usher will bring you one. We're going to follow along together in the text, so it's not going to be on the overhead. So put your hand in the air if you need a Bible, and you can follow along. But before we get started, I would like to open us in some prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you that through all the seasons of life, you are God and Lord, and you are sovereign over death and new life, and over every moment in between. We lift our lives to you, the author of our lives. We ask that the word that was put into us, that we humbly receive that word, that we'd be open to walking, moving, and changing with you as you transform our lives and bring about the new creation in Christ that Jesus died to bring us. We open ourselves to you this morning, God. We open our minds. We open our hearts. We ask that the Holy Spirit would be our teacher this morning, as Jesus said, that we would all grow move and change in him and keep in step with the Spirit. In the name of Christ, I pray. Amen. So in my opinion, today's teaching is really relevant to us in the church. It's easily applicable to us as a church. It's easily applicable to our our lives as individuals. It doesn't mean that it's an easy teaching, but it's easily applicable. So if you will receive it, uh, we're springboarding off last week's sermon. We talked about the powerful word of God that's at work in our lives. I alluded to it in my prayer. It's been on my heart. Uh, It's the word that's been planted in us. And James says we're supposed to humbly receive this word of God that's been planted within us, which can save us, which can bring about the new creation, bring about regeneration in our lives. So we're springboarding off that idea this morning of, of receiving humbly, without pretense, the word of God this morning and just allowing it to work its way in us. And we're also kind of springboarding off the concept from last week where James said pure religion 
is to look after the poor and the widows, the vulnerable, and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Uh, today we're kind of looking at the idea of keeping ourselves from being polluted by the world and the world system, and, uh, and it's a concept that all of us will be able to relate to without any trouble. So without any further hoopla, we will get into the text. We're in James 2, 1 to 13. I invite you to read along with me. And I will make a couple comments as we read, but the rest of my comments will be reserved for later on. Uh, the heading in your Bible, most of your Bibles, is Favoritism Forbidden. That's pretty strong language. My brothers and sisters, as believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, don't show favoritism. Favoritism comes from a Greek word, prosopolemsia. Prosopolemsia. It sounds like a horrible medical condition that will eventually kill you. And the truth is, it's a horrible spiritual condition that will eventually kill you. So, we're not too far off with that. Um, Prosopolemsia, it means to lift up one's face towards a person. To show favoritism. To lift up your face to someone. Uh, Up in the Bible always means to kind of basically honor someone. Lift someone up, right? I translate it uh, today, and I, I do this very freely. I think it's very accurate. To lift up one's face towards one person and look down one's nose at another. To lift up one's face towards one person and to look down one's nose at another. So with that in mind, verse 2. Suppose, here's a case in point, suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes and a poor man in shabby clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, hey, you stand there. Or, um, you know, sit on the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated amongst yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my dear brothers and sisters. Has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised to those who love him? But you have insulted the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into the court? Are they not the ones who are slandering the noble name of him to whom you belong? I'd like to point out here, when it's talking about rich people, it's talking about when you show show favor towards towards people that seem finely dressed and don't look poor, um, you're showing favor to the same class of people who in society has the power to basically wield the power of the purse and to sway justice and to cause all kinds of corruption. You know, rich people as a class in society, in, 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 this, world, in this world as well as the world of James, um, are able to sway things because they have the power of money behind them. And poor people are vulnerable. So you see how this is a reflection of look after the poor and the widows. We're supposed to look out for the vulnerable people. So uh, he uses this argument. Aren't, aren't the rich class of people the ones who are exploiting you? And, and from the context and the language, uh, we know that this is talking about both wealthy people inside the church in James's time who were who were identified as Christians and wealthy people outside of the church who had the power to basically bring charges up against the poorer people to maybe demanding a debt repayment something like that and basic because in that judicial system you were able to bring charges against someone and take them to court i could say um, Lorraine you uh, you know broke my ox's leg, so I'm taking you to court, right? And I could bring her before a judge. So what was happening was, uh, 
rich people, Christians and people outside of the church, were just carting people into court just like everyone else in the world and basically giving Jesus a bad name. You know, especially Christians, you know, the Bible talks about Christians bringing lawsuits against other Christians in Corinthians. Uh, but this, it, just, it was just was something that was causing Jesus to get a bad rap. Um, so he's saying, are not uh, the rich the ones who are slandering you? Yet in your church services, when visitors come to, to see to your church, you, you're favoring these people, you know? So let's read on in verse 8. If you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as a lawbreaker. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but you do commit murder, you have become a lawbreaker. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. So here's a sentence I've kind of written to summarize these 13 verses of James. It goes like this. Jesus did not come down so that you can lift your face up and look down your nose at other people God has created. Jesus did not come down so that you could lift your face up and look down your nose at other people God has created. This is something that is catchy. You could put it on a bumper sticker. You could uh, write it on a piece of paper and stick it on your desk. You know, wherever you're most in danger of uh, displaying this uh, favoritistic kind of attitude. We could put it on the door frames of our church. It would be a great thing. Uh, this, this is a good rule of thumb. Jesus did not come down so that you could lift your face up and look down your nose at other people. You're commanded by the scripture to stop discriminating between people and thus making yourself into a judge with evil thoughts. Um, this world that we live in has surely established a pecking order. It really has. Um, it's kind of ugly out there, and it's better, you know, when I think about the, the idea of it being so ugly out there and the pecking order and the way that people kind of evaluate and categorize one another, I think to myself, it better not be that way at church, you know? It better not be that way in New Life Fellowship. It better not be that way uh, where you are um, representing Christ in the world because people come to Christ, your witness is affected by how you show favoritism or judge other people, you know? And, and one of the amazing hallmarks of people that visit church uh, and, and even people that visit this church is they are looking for, do I need to repay? Do I need to do this, do this? No. We receive you just as you are. We don't judge you. We don't show favoritism. You're, you're a child of God. You're bought with the blood of Christ. We're all equally valuable here. It needs to be different in church. I'm really convinced of that. You know, when, when we kind of evaluate people and give people different worth, subtly in our thoughts, our actions, our behaviors, you know, we subtly become a mockingbird of the culture we live in, which does this all the time, which categorizes and ranks people uh, according to their worth. And that's just not right. Uh, G- Jesus came and granted us forgiveness for our offenses against God, all of our offenses against God. Jesus never said our sins were okay. You know, he never said, oh, that's okay. You know, don't worry about it. He said, you know, your sins are serious. And actually, they're so serious that because I'm a loving and merciful God, I am going to pay the price for your sins by sending my son so that your debt of sin can be uh, forgiven. Now that you've been forgiven by Jesus, by God, through Jesus Christ, you have a debt that you can never repay back to God. You understand? 
But the amazing thing is, God doesn't ask you to technically repay the debt. All he asks you to do is shift your attitude from a, from a, from a judge with evil thoughts who kind of categorizes and ranks other people and shows favoritism to someone who is simply forgiven. Change your attitude based on the forgiveness that Jesus has given you on the cross. And we're supposed to have uh, the same attitude that was found in Christ Jesus. In Philippians 2, Jesus, who was God, we believe Jesus was God, and so is James, uh, he did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he made himself nothing, taking on the very nature of a servant. And then it goes on to say, exemplify that attitude of Christ. So if even the Son of God didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped, even if God himself, in this Trinitarian picture, uh, didn't model that, you know, how dare we lift ourselves up and become judges with evil thoughts and evaluate and rank people in our, in our little social pecking order. It says to look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others in that same passage. This is the kind of attitude that we're supposed to have as people that have been forgiven of a, of a serious debt that we literally could not repay. We're supposed to be so humbled by that and so full of love from that that all we can do is treat everyone with equality. Uh, the church is egalitarian. You know, We're all on a level playing field because of the cross of Christ. So, uh, though this passage is, is using this example of a very familiar church setting, I think that J- James would say that it's wrong for a Christian to uh, behave in this way in any situation in their life. One of the ways that we really share the gospel message is with our lives. And one of the ways that we share the gospel message is by treating other people in the way that God has treated us, you know? In the way that God has treated us with, with grace, forgiveness, and with uh, an equality of treatment. Uh, what are the examples of favoritism that, and, and discrimination that happen in society? I was thinking about this week. You know, one of them is this idea of rich and poor. You know, that's present in our world today, discrimination between rich and poor. I was listening to talk radio. I, I kind of ration it, you know? Listen to talk radio every once in a while and then get filled up with it and then have to, have to stop. But uh, the, the commentator on this program uh, was talking about food stamps and talking about how uh, he was disgusted that food stamps were kind of coming in a credit card format because people should be, people should be made to feel the shame of using food stamps every time they're in a line at the grocery store. And they should be shamed so that they're not leeching off society anymore. That was the attitude that he conveyed. And I would submit that that is not a very nice attitude. You know, the rich, uh, the, the poor, in this case, are definitely being discriminated against and being typecast and being judged as, as a whole. I mean, you don't know why someone's on food stamps or what their circumstances are, yet this, this, this uh, particular host's view was, you know, they should be made to feel the shame of being on food stamps. I think it's kind of ugly. I don't think it has a place in the Church of Jesus Christ. Um, what about the poor souls who are on some government, government assistance even for a short, short time in their life and they're in line at the grocery store and they're trying to get the right brands and the right amounts and it's tricky on these tickets and then they get held up in the line because they can't check out and then the people behind them, they feel, the people that are standing there with, the, with these, these vouchers just feel the shame of all these people who are not only upset that they can't zip through the line and go home, they're also thinking to themselves, Who's this lazy bum who's on government assistance here, you know? Who's this lazy bum here, you know? Um, I don't need help. No one needs help, you know? I don't think that that attitude has a place in the Church of Christ, that particular attitude, that particular judgment, because the truth is, 
that all of us as Christians are living on an eternal, completely sufficient handout from God that we can never repay. You are living on government, you are living on holy assistance from God every day in the grace of Jesus. And if you think that you, when you had a good week, that you weren't living on grace that week, you're wrong. Your righteousness is like a filthy rag compared to the righteousness of God. You're living on grace even on your very best day when you're like wicked holy and not sinning and you're like, I'm doing so good, Jesus, you know. And you're living on grace that day just as much as on your very worst day. All of us are living on assistance from on high. How dare we cast aspersions on other people that are also admitting they have a need. That's kind of my line in the sand as a Christian, okay? The, the, the cross uh, levels, levels it down. We're all on equal footing here, okay? That's kind of the, some of the pain that, that poor people or people that are poor for a period of time in their life kind of go through. And, uh, and I think in church we have to be very careful to avoid this worldly um, judgment, which sounds very justifiable. And, you know, putting aside your political opinions about government programs, I think we can say that attitude is not a pretty thing. Well, you're allowed to have opinions on that stuff in the macro sense, but just the people, you know, you don't want to just put them all in this category and judge them all. That's kind of ugly. So, uh, again, we come to this idea. Jesus did not come down so that you could lift your face up and look down your nose at other people that God has created. What about showing favoritism to people simply because they're similar to you, right? And they make you feel more comfortable. Um, if you're a man or a woman who considers yourself to be well put together, you know, do you, do you tend to go up to people in church or otherwise who kind of reflect how you feel about yourself? You know, oh, this person, you know? Uh, and kind of subtly just kind of turn away from people that are dissimilar from you. What about those who are very physically fit? You know, do you tend to go up to other people that you're like, oh, look at you, you know, you're, we're, we're all kind of like working out and we're all physically fit and kind of avoid people that maybe have, you know, weight issues or health issues and these kinds of things just because they're different from you. And even cast these subtle, in-your-mind, favoritistic kind of judgments on people. Uh, th- this is really common. We tend to do this kind of thing. I think we really need to do a gut check on the issue of race because everyone has this, this problem. Everyone has these kind of weird little biases to greater or different degrees of people that look different from them or talk differently from them culturally or look different from them. Skin tone, culture... Um, in every way, it's very easy for people, for good people, to subtly show favoritism to people that are similar to them. I think we can all agree on that, okay? Um, And I'm not making political statements, I'm just making human statements. These are just human statements. Uh, This is what people do. Uh, What about people that are developmentally disabled? Or or for some event in life, they're mentally handicapped in some way? Um, Or people that have physical handicaps to greater and lesser degrees? Do we tend to favor people that we think it will be much easier to relate to or talk to based on, on those kinds of things. What about, uh, you know, one, one of the things in the, in the church that's been pointed out by a number of people is uh, how single people feel in the church. And in, in, uh, that's both single people and also single parents um, feel like they're kind of excluded from dinner invitations and things because families with kids tend to show favoritism towards other families with kids and say, oh, we'll get our kids together. There's something about that that is um, a little bit selfish because when you think about it, it kind of benefits you in a roundabout way to have your... You know, I, I'm, all I'm saying is favoring families with kids over, 
over a, a single person. But there, but there is an equal value to be gotten from having someone over to your house who's a single person in the church. A lot of times, single people feel very isolated, feel very misunderstood, feel like they don't belong because Christians just tend to show favoritism towards other families. So that's something to, something to think about. Uh, this stuff happens. And uh, I really think the witness of Christ in the world, when this happens in the church and when this happens outside of the church, is severely limited. And there's, there's a bunch of people I can name uh, who, who have come to New Life and made the comment, you know, this is an amazing place. I really feel like I'm accepted, I'm loved. Um, it's, it's different from anything I've experienced. And it really is. It's a supernatural thing because, because of what, the, what Jesus has done in our lives in bringing us all up to the same level. We're all equally under sin. And Jesus died for, for us, the righteous for the unrighteous. We've been given a forgiveness that we couldn't earn by any sheer, by any measure uh, of, the, of the imagination. We could not earn that forgiveness. And we have this debt to God that he doesn't expect payment for at all, but it just takes away that whole pecking order, that whole system of judging and, and categorizing and valuing people from high to low um, as far as uh, we tend to do as humans in the world system that we're in. So today, uh, I'm convinced, I really think, God wants us to take seriously the sin of favoritism. I haven't really talked about this, I haven't really heard this talked about too much in the church, honestly, this idea of favoritism. But God wants us to take on his perspective on this particular sin because, you know, we would tend to take things like adultery and murder and put them really high on our list of sins from, from, from bad to worst, you know, with sins, the, the list that we all have. But the problem is that God doesn't do that, and God doesn't actually have your personal list of sins from least to greatest on his uh, smartphone in heaven. <laughs> he doesn't understand that, that, oh yeah, there's some sins that don't matter very much, and you can just kind of live that way. And then there's other ones you should avoid. God doesn't have that list. He lost it, you know. <laughs> he never had it. And... Um, and God doesn't judge us based on our lists of the importance of various sins. God looks at our lives based on his list. And, uh, and in our passage today, I want, to, I want to take a look at this in verse 8. If you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin, and are convicted by the law as a lawbreaker. For whoever keeps the whole law, yet stumbles at just one point, is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but you do commit murder, you have become a lawbreaker. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom, because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. This phrase, royal law, is, a, is borrowed from uh, Greek culture. Uh, it, it's, a, it's a phrase that was used during the time James was written. Uh, Basilikos nomos. Uh, royal law. And it is uh, basically politicians would talk about this idea of a kingly law, a law decreed by a king as being the royal law. And what James is saying is this law that Jesus gives, love your neighbor as yourself, is the royal law. This is the fulcrum of judgment. This is, it says actually in Matthew 22:40, that the entire, Jesus says the entire law and the prophets are summed up in this law, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And that's what's being emphasized today. This is the fulcrum of judgment. This is how God, um, God evaluates sin. So I'm going to do something kind of weird.
Should I keep going? Who thinks I should keep, who thinks I should keep going? <laughs> Any troublemakers over there? Okay, so that's getting dangerous, so I'm going to tie it off. I have a backup balloon in case it doesn't work out. Wanda's going to have to edit the recording to take out these horrible noises when she does the sermon on Wednesday. So this is how God wants us to think about uh, his royal law. Um, royal, so I, I happen to have a purple Sharpie, so, you know, you get it, royal, yeah. So, love your neighbor as yourself. This is the royal law, the basilicos nomos of our king, the rightful king of the world, Jesus Christ. This has been decreed by Jesus, and he has summarized, in case you were getting tired of reading the whole Old Testament, and you need, like, I need a break from this, he just summarized the whole thing for you. He said, you know, the whole thing can be boiled down to this. Love the Lord your God, love your neighbor as yourself. You know, you should still read it, but that's, that's what the whole thrust is. If you do these things, the passage, our passage today says, you're doing well. You're doing well. So, as far as uh, violating this law of love, I'll use a black marker because it represents sin, right? So, we have today, our big topic is favoritism. Some people know where this is going. They're just waiting for it, you know. Um, favoritism. It's lifted up in this passage. It's saying this is unacceptable to the people who've been forgiven by Jesus because you've been forgiven of a debt you can't repay. You're living on this eternal handout from God. <laughs> you can't show favoritism to people. You're on a level playing field. Actually, you know, the, the interesting thing with the original language is this guy with the gold rings and the finery, when you lift your face up to that person when they come into your assembly or in your regular life, what you're kind of doing is devaluing God because you're saying, you know, this poor person, but this rich person, but you know what? The rich person's glory is nothing compared to the glory of God. So we're not supposed to lift our face to anyone but God, okay? Favoritism. And then the passage says, for whoever keeps the whole law, yet the whole law, the royal law, but stumbles on one point is guilty of breaking all of it. He said, do not commit adultery. Also said... Do not murder. If you haven't committed adultery but you have murdered, you have become a lawbreaker. Speaking act, uh, as people who are going to be judged uh, based on the law that gives freedom. The law of God is one. It's a, it's a unified whole. It reflects the person who wrote the law of God. God is one. When you stumble on one point of the law, you stumble on all of the law. And these are not haphazard examples that, the, that James uses. What do we do when we show favoritism? We devalue a human being made in the image of God, or we value another being above another human being who's made in the image of God. That's what favoritism does. What does adultery do? Devalues your family, your wife, your children, who are made in the image of God, uh, takes them down, it devalues the person you're committing adultery with, you're taking them down. Um, probably people in the world would even agree with this. It's kind of one of those things that's written on people's hearts. Like, this is not cool for most people. For most people. And uh, murder is the ulti- perhaps the ultimate example of um, devaluing another person and saying, you know what? My life matters and yours doesn't. It doesn't get much more final than that. 
But God really takes favoritism pretty seriously, and he lumps it in, in James, with adultery and murder. And he says, if you, if you commit favoritism, you've broken... I'm sorry. Sorry, everyone. You know, I didn't think about the microphone placement. Can I just, can everyone forgive me right now? Mr. Illustration didn't mute his microphone. I'm sorry. Priscilla, I'm sorry. Oh my gosh. And her vitals spiked again because of her pastor. And Wanda, remember to edit that out of the recording tomorrow. This, is, this might seem like a dramatic thing, which it was, that I just did. It was dramatic. Everyone's okay, right? Yeah, everyone's okay. Um, but this, is no, this, this view is not dramatic of the law. This is the same view that Jesus Christ had, who was our Lord and Savior. In Matthew 5.21, Jesus said that if someone holds hatred in their heart towards someone, it's tantamount to murder. And Jesus said that if you look at a woman, and I guess it could go either way, or a woman looks at a man with lust in their heart, it's like committing adultery. You stumble on one point, you've broken the whole thing. What is this passage not saying? I don't want to terrify anyone. This passage is not, I already did that well enough already. This passage is not saying that if someone shows favoritism once in a while, that they are going to be condemned to eternal damnation. What this is saying is that the person who develops the habit of lifting up their face and looking down their nose at people over the long haul of their life, it's going to develop a general thrust of character within them. It's going to develop them as a person, and they're going to become the kind of person um, who is in danger of being judged. Because think about it. All of your decisions flow out of your character, right? The decisions you make to talk to one person, to, talk to, to not talk to another person, to harbor things in your heart. You know, these are all decisions that we make, and they, and they uh, come out of our character. And our character is developed uh, by what we allow into our hearts. And uh, when we show favoritism over the long haul in our life, it, it changes our character, it changes who we are as people, and we, we uh, become unmerciful, judgmental, we show favoritism, and discrimination towards other people. And it has the potential to destroy, to destroy us because, one, we've broken the whole law and we're kind of unrepentant of it because we don't take favoritism very seriously compared to other things, and God does. And it has the potential to destroy people around us. And the passage says, judgment without, without mercy will be shown to the person who walks in favoritism, um, who walks with favoring one person over another for whatever reason, who lifts one person up over another for whatever reason, and uh, in a way, devalues God's glory by looking to the glory of a man or a woman who we think is impressive. To kind of uh, really show you that this is a scriptural idea, I want to look at Matthew 18. I'm going to read you a story to close today. Matthew 18, 21 to 35. This is a parable uh, about forgiveness. Another major heart issue Another sin that we don't take as seriously as we should, that we hold in our heart and don't do. It's about forgive, unforgiveness, but this parable is a direct corollary to what we're talking about today. Then Peter came to Jesus, Peter's our favorite, we like him, and asked, <laughs> he, he liked math, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? 
up to seven times? Very holy. Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times, infinity times, in other words. Then Jesus tells a story. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay the master order that he and his wife and children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay you back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, Be patient with me, and I will pay you back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and the man, had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all that he owed. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. Jesus did not come down to save us as our rescuer so that we could lift up our faces and look down our noses at other people that God has created. Jesus created a level playing field. Jesus knocked over the pecking order of the church and of society completely. We are all valued equally because each of us has received the value of God's Son, Jesus Christ, each of us who follow God in our lives. We're valued equally on the basis of Jesus' worth. You know, how dare we ever lift up our face to one person, look down our nose at another one? It's, a, it's an ugly sin. It has to be dealt with. We talked about a lot of different examples. And I just, I just invite you to reflect on your life and try to take this sin as seriously as God does because it's something that does shape your character. It's something that can lead to very bad places. And we have to be very careful not to show discrimination um, in this kind of way. The encouragement this morning... Uh, is that if you're alive today, you have time to work on these attitudes that, that were talked about today. And, and the, the encouragement from verse 13 in today's passage is mercy triumphs over judgment. That's a great thing. God is always bent on mercy, always bent on mercy towards anyone who will humble themselves before him. But the understanding is that since he's had such great mercy on you, you're supposed to have great mercy on everyone else around you. Because when the debt of sin is canceled, the debt that you could not repay, all that's left is a debt of love. That's all that's left. When the sin's been canceled, it's a debt of love to God, to everyone you meet. It's a debt of love. Thank you this morning uh, for, for listening. I'm going to invite Tim up to close us with a song.